Hello, this is Radio Free Hillsdale. I'm Megan Pitcock, and today I'm talking to Dr. Stanley Ridgely, author of recently come out book, Brutal Minds, which is about the leftist influence in colleges today. So you talk a lot about brainwashing and sort of the the ideas that, that mostly administrators are putting out into college students and their minds and such. Can you sort of define what brainwashing is and maybe give a little bit of history about it? I'd be delighted. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Um, brainwashing is not the stereotypical view that uh, most people have of brainwashing, perhaps taken from Hollywood, such as you know, strobe lights and hypnosis and physical you know, beatings and that sort of thing. It's not it's nothing like that. It does exist. The official name for it is thought reform or uh, thought um, rectification. And it began back in the 1940s with social scientists, I should say social psychologists, Kurt Lewin at MIT, when he created a program that would address the uh, problems of criminals and their recidivism. And to keep them from uh, falling back into lives of crime, he developed a brainwashing program. Um, we call it brainwashing. He called it re-education, where the criminal would have his belief system changed. He would be unfrozen, changed, and then refrozen. Now, this is the fundamental brainwash that uh, was adopted by the communist Chinese, by the North Koreans, and by many American cults, uh, such as the Unification Church, People's Temple, Synanon, and, and that sort of thing. But right now, today, the only place in America that the brainwash is practiced to any great extent is with American cult recruitment and on the uh, higher co- higher education on the college campus. Anywhere social, social justice education and transformative education is taught, you know that the brainwash is in effect. I can uh, go into detail about who's doing it. Uh, as you note in the introduction that you noted, it was the administration that is subsidizing this sort of thing. It's really not, by and large, the faculty that is involved in this. It is the bureaucracy, mainly the bureaucracy known as student affairs, because they're trained in this. Um, but that is the fundamental uh, basis of the brainwash. I talk about it in Brutal Minds quite a bit. I give the history of it. I tell, I tell how it's being done on the college campus. I name names, tell you where it's being done, who it's being done to, and what we can do about it to stop it. Uh, you say in your book that the brainwashing in academia, academia is always some version of social justice mantra, but that, that is actually uh, socialism. Do you think you could go into a bit more detail about that? Well, certainly I can. Um, how do I know that this is uh, the ideology that's been propounded and used in the brainwash? Well, because it comes out of schools of education. Schools of education are really the only places where this is actually believed as being a viable uh, economic social system, socialism or social justice education. Um, they Part of their ideology, of course, is the actual transformation of students and changing of their belief system. I mean, that's part of their pedagogy. Um, I said that uh, brainwash is practiced anywhere we hear social justice education and transformative education. Again, this is because it comes out of education schools, which are dominated by Marxist thinking. This is not speculation. This is not even in dispute. It's not controversial. Um, Many of the chief movers and shakers, the gurus of education school theory, were in fact, and are still in fact, Marxists. Uh, Michael Apple, Henry Giroux, Paulo Freire, these are Irish Shore. These are names that are in the pantheon of heroes of 
of education schools and the, the, theory, the theories that they, that they offer and that they impose on students. They were all self-described Marxists. This is not, again, not again a, 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 a controversial statement. Well, these, this education theory, this crypto-Maoist education theory, in the case of some of it, is taught to graduate students uh, in education in programs such as student affairs and higher education management and educational leadership, kind of amorphous, amorphous titles. They graduate these folks out of the education schools, and they come right back in the side door of the university in jobs that are made and crafted just for them in the bureaucracy by the folks who are already in the bureaucracy who came out of education schools 10, 15, 20 years ago. What do they do when they get in these positions in student affairs? Well, some of us think that, uh, well, it's student affairs. They must just manage dormitories, set up ultimate Frisbee competitions, uh, maybe just keep the sound system working in the pizzas hot for karaoke night, that kind of thing. But no, they have a very different, uh, very different mission that they've assigned themselves. It's very messianic and almost a, re- a religious fervor. <clears throat> they believe that they are preparing the next generation of college students for the generations, I'm sorry, for the struggles of the future, the Marxist struggles of the future. They believe that they are charged with bringing students to critical consciousness, which means decoupling them from their relationship with their parents, with their friends, establishing a new belief system that incorporates this this ideology, this ideology of social justice. That's basically the framework of social justice or socialism as it's being taught in education schools and then being propounded in a co-curriculum, which is run on the college campuses alongside the curriculum. I teach in the curriculum, you know, along with my colleagues, and I teach in the business school, and my colleagues teach you know, chemistry, physics, history, that kind of thing. The co-curriculum is not affiliated with the faculty, and none of these people are faculty who teach in this co-curriculum. It's fake courses, a fake curriculum, fake professors, fake faculty, and they also offer fake transcripts. Uh, I know that Rutgers University and St. John's University offer a fake transcript. Uh, And this is how the uh, Marxist ideology is propounded, is propagated, and it remains intact on most college campuses in America. How does this sort of uh, sort of system, I guess, get started in in the first place and become a part of the collegiate uh, environment? Well, you know that's a very good question because you know where did it come from? Uh, well, education schools um, are the least respected entities on the college campus. That, uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's just acknowledged universally, and they've been chafing a you know champing at the bit. Um, chafing at their collar, wanting to have a little more influence on the way that uh, universities and colleges are run, particularly as they are imbued with this Marxist ideology, which is designed to, and the purpose of which is designed to, to change the world. That's what they want to do. They want to change the world. They want to change the university from a, a, a repository of the best that has been thought and said, uh, you know, <clears throat> transmitting the best that has been thought and said to the next generation in, based on logic, reason, progress, scientific method, that kind of thing. They want to change it into a crucible of indoctrination, according to their precepts, their Marxist precepts, which, of course, um, informs social justice education. Well, they've been, they've been irritated in the fact that they've been stymied for so many years, but about two decades ago, they, they came up with their solution to extend education school influence across the campus. Let's create these graduate programs in student affairs, 
let's create these jobs, th- these jobs for these graduates of our own program so that we can then produce the graduates who accept this ideology, who embrace this ideology, and, and give them degrees in student affairs, in education management, higher education administration, graduate them and pump them back into the campuses around the country in these bureaucrat positions crafted just for them. Now, of course, they're not going to be happy just you know, running the dining hall or running residence life. They want to do other things because they believe themselves to be, as they say, college educators, just like faculty. Well, of course, they're not. They're not vetted. They're not recruited in the same way. They are not. They don't go through a rigorous selection process. They're just hired by their friends, and they begin teaching in this co-curriculum. That's the genesis of the problem. Well, as you can see, uh, if you started this program 20 years ago, piping these people back into the campus where they believe that they have this mission and they're going to hire their friends, after 20 years of this, you're going to find a discernible uh, identity of the people who are in the bureaucracy. Recent research by Samuel Abrams uh, at Sarah Lawrence College shows that the disparity of liberals to conservatives in the faculty on the campuses is about six to one. Now, we can handle that. The few conservatives there are and the good good liberals, we can handle that. But in the bureaucracies, that disparity of liberals to conservatives is 12 to 1. That's a tangible result of this piping these people, these mediocrities from education schools into the bureaucracy. Uh, and so now you have a lockstep crypto-Maoist in, uh, ideology informing about 90-95% of these people. And of course, students cannot escape this messaging. And this is why the problem is so ubiquitous and the problem is so intractable that we've got to do something about it to stop it. And I think that Brutal Minds goes a long way to achieving that goal. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. My name is Megan Pitcock. I'm talking to Stanley Ridgely, the author of the book that recently came out called Brutal Minds. What is the end goal of these pseudo-educators in brainwashing students? Well, they believe the purpose of the university is entirely different than what you and I might think of the university. As I said, it was this is an arena where the best that has been thought and said can be passed on to the next generation, but where we can also contend with with various ideas, um, assuming that there's something new and fresh and different that appears on the campus, we are free to criticize it, to consider it, and to evaluate it, and then admit it to the gates of of the university if it's worthy, or to reject it, as if it it may be flatterous theory, which we reject. It may be some, you know, quantum string theory or something like that that we accept. So, that's how we view the university. They view the university in the way that my one of my colleagues did graduate school. I, I call him a colleague, but actually he was a, a grand a poobah of Marxism. His name was Frederick Jameson. He's a major theorist in the uh, mainline uh, vulgar Marxist tradition. And he said this, the purpose of the university is to train cadres for the battles of the future in a mark for a Marxist uh, society. I mean, that was his, that's his quote. I mean, he was very upfront, and he's to be correct, congratulated on his, his uh, candor. But that, he told us right there what their, their goal is. They're, they view the university as a crucible of indoctrination to transmit not the best that's been thought and said, but to transmit this received wisdom from Karl Marx, from Mao Zedong, uh, and to inculcate this and indoctrinate in, uh, to, to uh, people, young people, to have them go out and transform society. 
this is their purpose. They stated this as much. Uh, one of the student affairs off-campus nonprofit clubs, which is a, a kind of professional association for the bureaucrats, their motto is boldly transforming higher education. I'll say it again, boldly transforming higher education. And they view it as their mission. They're, they're, they're messianic in this. They, um, they are driven to a mission to transform the university, to decolonize the university, their, their words, um, and to um, establish a, quote, anti-racist agenda, which is basically a euphemism for the social justice agenda that is all too familiar with those of us who have dealt with these people for many, many years. As someone as someone put it um, on a review of my book, that I've spent many years behind enemy lines uh, to that effect. And so I think this is the end game for them, that they have, they're wanting to put Herbert Marcuse's victim into effect. Herbert Marcuse was a neo-Marxist member of the Frankfurt School um, uh, Frank, of Critical Theory. And in 1972, he said in his book, Revolt and Counter-Revolution, we're engaged in a long march through the institutions. He being of the radical left, he meant that the radical left is engaged in a long march through the institutions. Of course, the long march was drawn from uh, of colorful language drawn from Mao Zedong's long march uh, that he took uh, when he was engaged in battle with um, the nationalists under uh, Chiang uh, Kai-shek. For Herbert Marcuse, the neo-Marxist, the goal is to take over the fundamental institutions of the West, um, the, the edu- certainly the educational institutions, uh, the government, the legislatures, um, uh, law enforcement, all of that sort of thing. And uh, that, so now we're in that endgame. You mentioned in your book that these sort of institutions grew rapidly after 2020. Do you think that the lockdowns yeah. and, you know, sort of the fallout of that specific time has, that it's increased the bureaucracy, but also do you think it's raised any sort of awareness about what's actually happening at colleges? Oh, phenomenally, yes, because I think the uh, the uh, the uh, remote instruction, as abominable as it may have been, with respect to the you know the elementary and, and secondary schools, keeping students at home and making them you know, supposedly learn um, at, a, at a computer screen at home, it really alerted parents uh, large in a large scale uh, um, awakening as to what teachers were actually teaching and what school boards were imposing. On their uh, in their districts, as far as the uh, curriculum was concerned. Now, the problem that I've enunciated here on the college campuses uh, that has the same source as the problems that we see in our secondary school with teachers and uh, and administrators. They're coming out of the same place, education schools, and they are affected with this neo-Marxist, neo-Maoist uh, education theory. Um, this is not. You know, this, again, this is not in dispute. I will digress here a moment to say the source of this is that education schools um, embraced Marxism a long time ago. I gave you the names of many of their of their gurus, mm-hmm. of their theorists, uh, Michael Apple, Henry Giroux, um, Paulo Freire, Iris Shore, and a number, a number of others. Paulo Freire is a name that will become far more uh, uh, familiar to Americans as uh, it begins to come out that this guy is a Brazilian Maoist from the 1970s, and he, you know, he died, I think, in 1998. He had tremendous influence, and his book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, is a neo-Maoist tract on revising and reforming, in his mind, education, you know, grounded in 
the revolutionary literature of Che Guevara and uh, Franz Fanon of, of the time. And he was a great admirer, this guy, a great admirer of Mao's cultural revolution. He said as much. He said this in his own, in his own writing, that he believed that Mao's cultural revolution, which killed about two million of his own people, was the most genial solution of the century, far above anything that Lenin or Stalin or Fidel Castro could have, could have uh, created. Now, why is this important? Well, because if you're a teacher and you're running programs in the education schools, you cannot say that we want to establish a Marxist uh, theoretical program to train our teachers. You can't say that. It's not a good sell. You can't sell that in the United States. But you can sell a third world uh, guru by the name of Paulo Freire. He's got, you know, smiles a lot. He's got a nice gray beard. He's not threatening. Uh, most important, no one's ever heard of him, even though he took most of his education theory from Marx and, and Mao Zedong. Very much like a gangster has to launder his dirty money through a, for a, through a front man. Education schools laundered their dirty theory through a front man, Paulo Freire. And so now you have Paulo Freire in 19, his 1970 book, Pop Pedagogy of the Oppressed, is the third most cited book in the social science literature. That will give you an idea of his, of his influence. And so um, this is how it began in our education schools, and this is how people are becoming more and more aware of it, to go back to the point of your question, is that, yes, the lockdowns were kind of a, a – uh, almost a gift, if you will. If you have to find a silver lining in the lockdowns, this is it, this growing awareness. Whereas you had the 2020 uh, riots of, uh, of the, the BLM riots of, of, of that time that really opened the door and opportunity for the left wing, the radical left, to force their agenda onto the college campuses and to really open up some space for themselves on the other side. The lockdowns really made people aware of what they were doing and what was going on and really rallied people to the cause. I think Moms for Liberty is a good example of grassroots kind of organizing against this type of indoctrination in our secondary schools. And I like to think that uh, organizations like Turning Point USA, which uh, I'm the faculty uh, advisor for at my own university, uh, and, and other organizations have really stepped up their college recruitment and have, uh, uh, you know, it was Louis Brandeis, Supreme Court Justice, who said that uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think that the, uh, these uh, brainwashers in student affairs and the bureaucracy have had the benefit of the shadows for far too long. It's time to shine that spotlight and, um, and rouse them out and make them defend themselves. Mm-hmm. What sort of action can students or parents or faculty or whoever take to sort of combat this, uh, this ideology? Well, the number one thing is to become aware of it, because this is, this is the, big, uh, the big reveal in Brutal Minds, my book, in which I actually reveal the mechanism whereby, that I've described to you, whereby um, radicals who are not even faculty are infesting the university and increasing their numbers and their power, and that they are exerting a dastardly influence, a very deleterious influence on students, staff, and faculty, and even liberal faculty, you know, our, our uh, honorable opponents on the left, uh, the good liberals who believe in the university as a crucible, I should say, as a repository of knowledge and an arena for discussion, they're being attacked now. They are no longer, they no longer anchor the left wing on our campuses. That left wing is anchored by people way out on the left, radicals, extremists, who are assuming peer, uh, positions of power. 
And so the one thing that faculty can recognize is that the enemy is already inside the wire. The enemy is not state legislatures in Florida or Texas or Iowa or Virginia. The enemy is already on the university campus and working actively against not just me as a conservative, but against them as liberals, against anyone who dares challenge their orthodoxy. So awareness, again, is, is um, because once you know the enemy and you know what the enemy is doing, it becomes much easier to confront that enemy and to defeat them. Parents and students can't, are there, you know, are not, who have, you know, people who are in college now don't have a whole lot of stake or faith or interest in long-term solutions, you know, down, down the road, 10 years from now. Well, that's, that's for those folks who are in college then. What about now? Well, students right now, knowing your rights, knowing how to recognize the brainwash before it gets started, knowing how to recognize um, that the people who are giving your orientation with all their, their big smiles and their welcoming and their what is called love bombing to give you a feeling of acceptance for just being who you are, all of this is faith. Uh, it's exactly what cults do. The tactics are exactly the same. They're drawn from the same sources. Uh, the idea that we're going to provide young students coming in from from home a feeling of unconditional acceptance. Every joke is funny. Every you know everything you're wearing is stylish. Uh, everything you say is profound. This is the kind of uh, uh, love bombing that we find in cults, and we find it in uh, university and college orientation sessions as well. And it's designed to throw students off their guard, to get them to suspend their critical faculties, and to get them to give trust where trust is not has not earned. That's one of the key markers that students and parents, of course, as well, should recognize, that when someone is at, on the university campus is trying their best to get you to give, give them you know, your trust to, quote, make yourself vulnerable, to model self-disclosure, in other words, information they have no business knowing. Um, that's a key marker that this is a person that you should not trust. This is a person that you should distrust actively. And by doing that, you essentially neuter them, and they, they're unable to play upon and flatter you so that you then give up this private information about your family, about your friends, about your political beliefs, and then they are immediately cannot be turned against you, which they are in a situation where a young student who's unaware of what's going on may just spill his or her guts and give the enemy all the information they need to turn the screws on you. So parents, specific information for parents, college administrators really do not like parents. They want you to write a check with a tuition and then say goodbye. And then, 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 then they will take over the education of kids and uh, college students. Um, my advice to parents is to remain active and to ask questions and to recognize that these administrators have names they give you behind your back, toxic parents, helicopter parents, pathetic parents, you know, vicarious college student parents. All of this I detail in Brutal Minds in the conclusion so that you know for a fact that these folks are not playing with a, with a full deck, that they are trying to undermine your students or your college students' um, uh, morality, uh, upbringing, and entire entire belief system. So my advice is to ask lots of questions. And I can tell you this, most colleges have a parent's portal or a family portal. Now this maintains the facade of, uh, you know, oh, we're letting you know what's going on with your kids. But no, um, those parents' portals will tell you when tuition checks are due, will tell you something about the academic calendar, will tell you when the career fest kicks off, but nothing more than that. They certainly will not tell you the details that's going on in this 
co-curriculum that I have that I've described to you. Those are just some of the things. I give a lot of red flags, a lot of advice in, uh, in Brutal Minds in the conclusion. This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I've been talking to Dr. Stanley Ridgely about his new book, Brutal Minds. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me on your show today. Once again, I'm Megan Pitcock, and you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.